Please go ahead and be seated. Good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing fantastic this week. Hope you've been doing well this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. Exodus 1 and 2. There's so much that I did not put that in the Worship Center app. So I'm hoping you'll use your Bibles to follow along with us. But um, I want to tell you about 21 years ago this summer, I went on my very first mission trip that I led as a pastor. So I was in Apex, North Carolina. I was leading a trip to South Windsor, Connecticut, which is where I grew up, and we were going back up to do a mission trip. Now, we had two 15-passenger vans. We had uh, a big trailer. We were bringing a lot of stuff, and the shortest route to get to Connecticut was to go up I-95 all the way to the East Coast, but I chose not to go that way, although that was the shorter way. I chose not to. Here's the reason why. I didn't want to drive through New York City, 15 passenger vans, and a big trailer. I just didn't want to do that. I chose to go the long way. And we were sitting down there going, why in the world is this taking so long? I didn't realize it, how long it was going to take. We went up Highway 81, if you're familiar, and we came around the Pennsylvania area and then shot over to Connecticut. Well, we stopped at this rest stop and this trucker looked at us and he looked at us and he said, what in the world are you doing? He said, the best thing for you to do is just to drive three hours south, get back on 95 and go up that way. That's the best thing for you to do right now. And I was like, nope, I am choosing to go this way. And I said, I'm choosing to go this way because I'm trying to make sure that our team is safe. And here is the deal. Sometimes God desires to take you and I the long way because ultimately he always knows what is best. And listen, more right now than I've ever known in my life, that is a very difficult truth, but one we cannot dismiss. I mean, you can sit there, I'm sure that the Israelites who were told, you, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to make your name great among many nations. I will curse those who curse you, and I will bless those who bless you. And here are the Israelites, we find in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, that they are in slavery in Egypt. And I can sit there and probably sit there and, and think that they're going, what in the world is going on? I, I don't understand what in the world you're doing. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were working harder than they've ever had to work in their lives. They, they were probably sitting there saying, this simply just does not make sense. And they probably were saying something like the trucker was saying to me that you just need to turn around and go the other way. I imagine as they found themselves in Egypt and where things were and how things were going, that they had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts about God. Probably more than just one and more than just a simple little season or a bad day. It was probably a lot longer than just a bad day. So the nation of Israel is going through all of this together and I just want to help us sort of paint the picture that was then, but here we are right now. If you could just help me and do me a favor, 
I'm gonna ask you a question and I want you to respond. If you have ever experienced just lots of questions, anxiety, not sure what God is doing in your life, I would just ask you to raise your hand. Now what I'd ask you to do is look around. Hold it up, hold it up. We're in this thing together. Hands are up all over the place. The road often seems like a dead end. But in the hands of God, it's never just a dead end. It's his sovereign hand that is working through some things in our lives to help us know who he is greater and better and deeper. And he wants to walk with us through these things. So what, what, I, what I want us to do is I want us to recognize that what seems like a dead end to us and what possibly could seem like a dead end to the Israelites as they were wandering in Egypt, they were enslaved in Egypt, is I want us to recognize that there's a God in heaven that although it seems that way, it's just a curve. It's, it's a curve. It's a difficult curve in his sovereign plan and the road that he has to helping us learn to trust, love, and obey Jesus, which is ultimately what a disciple is and trying to be. So I want us to jump into Exodus chapter one and two. And what we're going to do is I'm gonna read a couple of passages from Exodus one and two, and I'll talk about them and I'll read it a little bit and talk about them because I really want you to make sure that you gain the picture of the story of what we're dealing with right now and kind of what we're seeing. So I'm gonna jump into Exodus chapter one and I'm going to start with verse 5 because I want, to, I want you to get a picture of what's going on. I've got three observations at the end of the message that I'm going to give to you. But in the meantime, what we're going to do, work through chapter 1 and 2, read and talk, read and talk. That's what we'll do. So verse 5, here's what it says. Okay, He's talking about all the people that are coming into Egypt from the beginning. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. Here's verse seven. Don't miss this. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And so let me go back to Genesis chapter one, verse 28, and I'm going to read that to you. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we've got 70 people coming in. When we really try to do the numbers and you do some study of this, we're looking that what's happening right now is that we're about 2.5 million people, Israelites, that are now living in Egypt where it is their home. That's where they're staying. That's that they are living there. This is what they know. This is where they are. Let's go down to verse nine. Here's, here's what takes place. And he said, this is Pharaoh, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Verse 11, therefore, they set taskmasters, task, 
taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. 13, verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And all the work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Seems like a dead end. Promised land, this doesn't seem like it. This does, there doesn't seem to be any kind of promise in where we are right now. We remember what you told our forefathers, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, again in 15 and again in 17. We've known this, but here's where we are. This seems very difficult. Well, it gets a little worse. Gets a little worse. Let's go to 15. Then king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, don't want you to miss that part. That's critical right now. Then the king of Egypt, this is Pharaoh, said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and Pua. When you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, you shall let them live. Pharaoh is so overwhelmed that they are going to have an army. The Israelite army will rise up against them. And so what he does is he creates infanticide of these children. Said, if it's a boy who is born, I want you to take him out. The reason he chooses the boys is because the boys will one day rise up to fight in, a, in the war. They'll be in the army. So he's like, I can't have them do that. I can't have them rise up against me. So what we're going to do is we're going to take out all of the boys. That's at least what they tried to do. Verse 17, don't miss this. Highlight this, underline this, circle this. We'll come back there in just a minute, but I wanna point out to you, these, are, these, these words right here are so important. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded. Then, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth and the, before the midwife comes to them. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what took place right there, but I'm pretty sure um, there's a little rhetorical, there's a, there, there's a little bit of a lie right there, Okay. So these, these women, they're more vigorous. What happens is they go into labor really fast before the midwives can come in and take care of the baby to see if it's a boy or a girl. They've had the baby, and guess what? They're leaving. I salute you. That's, that's what's going on. That's what the midwives told um, Pharaoh. And, and so you can ask the question, well, did they lie? Yeah, yeah, they did. Remember, this is de descriptive, not prescriptive. And why did God bless them? Why did God bless the midwives? He blessed the midwives because of their fear of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 20. Let's take a look in verse 20. So God dealt with well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, because he feared God, he gave them families. 
Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born of the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall not let every, and you, but you shall let every daughter live. So now he comes out with another plan. If there is a boy who was born, you cast him into the Nile, you take them out. We go to in verse two, we find out there's a Levite couple. Verse two of chapter two says this. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she let him, she held him for three months. When she could no longer, when she could hide him no longer, she took him in a basket, made bulrushes and daubed him in with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the river bank. Go down to verse seven. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the child, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And so here's what we have right now. And I want you to make sure you see in all of this situation right now, it seems to be a dead end. It seems to be where and what in the world is going on. God raises up Moses. God uses his mom. God uses these two Hebrew midwives. God uses Pharaoh's um, daughter. God uses Moses' sister. All of these things are taking place. Moses, we know, and we're going to see this, is a foreshadow to King Jesus, who ultimately is going to come and redeem all of mankind. But we're also going to see that there's a big difference between, between King Jesus and Moses. I think the next verses tell the difference very clearly. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked, his, he looked this way and that, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? So when Moses is now grown, we see that he's born. We see that he's in the camp of the, of, of the Philistines, Egyptians. And so here's where he is. He's with the Egyptian captivity. He's being raised there. He has prominence. He has education. He's learning a lot of things. He has all the food that he needs. And so we also see in this situation right now where he takes out someone, commits murder, and then he flees. We'll find out next week where God comes after him through a burning bush that is not consumed. But, but, but that's where we have it right now. We then find out that Moses um, gets, gets married. And then we pick up in verse 23. And I don't, I don't want you to miss this part before we get to a couple of points I want to share with you. Here we get to 23. During the, those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Verse 24, highlight it, memorize it, don't forget it. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant, 
with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So, so what a great way to conclude the testimony about the God we serve with those, the, those last um, three verses right there, 23 to 25. And so now, now what I want to do, I want to, I want to walk with you through a couple of points I think that are really important that I feel like God pointed out to me as I was studying this this week. Number one thing that I want you to see is I want to encourage you to obey God even when there seems to be a dead end. I want you to obey God even when it seems to be a dead end. Verse seven, here's what takes place. Verse seven, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, God told them to do that. Here they are in captivity. Here they are in questions, having questions, possibly having some doubt, and they're doing exactly what God told them to do. And sometimes when we come up to what seems like a dead end, we stop obeying the God of the universe. And that's incredibly dangerous. Maybe we don't listen as much. Maybe we're, we're struggling. Maybe we, we doubt. Here is what the Israelites are doing in the center of captivity. They're doing what God told them to do. And here's my encouragement to you. And here's my challenge to you is that when you are faced with a dead end, I'm asking you to simply trust. Trust in him. Yesterday, my wife and I just went driving around into different neighborhoods. I just want to draw you a picture. Um, yeah, we, um, we're driving around in this neighborhood. We came up to, I don't know, a couple of neighborhoods. It was really profound what the Lord showed me and uh, just gave me a picture. And we went into a cul-de-sac or what I thought was a cul-de-sac. It was a dead end. And there we went in there and I saw a sign at the end of the cul-de-sac and it said future road extension. And I felt like sometimes we're in a dead end and it feels like a dead end. But in the sovereign hand of God, there is a plan to be in that place that he is using for our sanctification, but there is always a way out and a way through for him. It may not be right now, but it may be in the future. And as I sat there in my car, I just said, oh, let's go look in this neighborhood. Let's look at this neighborhood. And I pulled into this cul-de-sac and I went in there. I didn't know that it was a cul-de-sac and I got all the way to the end and it went, Future road extension. It didn't say no outlet. It didn't say dead end. It just said future road extension. I don't know about you, but it just, it just gave me a picture of sitting here and being in a place where you feel like, man, you're stuck. But in the sovereign hand of God, he's not going to keep you there. This is great encouragement to me. I hope it is to you. And so here's my, here's my challenge that I'm so encouraged by the, by, by the Israelites. They're coming into this place. There, there's a famine going on. They, they find themselves in Egypt. Things were going okay for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, they're being enslaved. Their kids are trying to be murdered. 
And what I just want us to do is I want, them, I want us to do what they were doing. Just obey, obey him. Follow him. Trust him. And there are seasons when it's really difficult to do that. And that's why I had everybody raise your hand. Because when, when it's difficult to choose to do that, we need each other to help us to see that there's always a, a, a way that the Lord provides for us and a way out. So obey God even when there seems to be a dead end. I, I would number two, God knows what he is doing. God knows what he is doing. I'm, I'm really, really encouraged and overwhelmed and blessed by all of the points of this text that point to that God knew exactly what he was doing. If you go back to verse 25, look at verse 25. 25 says, God saw the people of Israel and listen, and God knew. And God knew. And if we sit here and we ask the question, what in the world is God doing? So here comes Pharaoh, first and foremost, he says, you know what? They're going to, I'm threatened by them. They're going to rise up and they're going to try to take us out. So what we need to do is we need to take out all the male children. So what does God do? He takes Hebrew midwives, puts them in a place where they have the opportunity to obey the king or obey God, and they choose God. And in God's sovereign plan, in your plan and my plan, there's sometimes we can't see what he secretly is doing because he ultimately knows what is truly best for all of us. And so here comes Pharaoh, oh, let's take him out, and then we have these two ladies. Listen, ladies. I want you to be so encouraged about how God uses women in this section. He uses these two midwives. He uses Pharaoh's daughter. He uses um, Moses' mother, Moses' sister. All of these ladies are used to accomplish God's sovereign plan and purpose. And us guys, we need you to be in that place to be used by God, to, to, for God to speak through you, for you to help us to accomplish this, this, this plan that we have. And, and God is very clear. He uses them, these ladies, for his glory. I, I, I want to I show you, really, how, does, how do we know that God knows what he's doing? Let, let me go back and read uh, Genesis 15, 13 through 14. You can make note of this. But I want to read Genesis 15, 13 through 14. Here's what it says. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. This is God speaking to Abraham. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they will serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And here we find literally 400 years later, what's happening is exactly what God told them would happen. 
And in his sovereign plan, because it says, and God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And in his sovereign plan, he places these people to accomplish him. Hebrew midwives, Moses, no, all Moses, his, his sister, Pharaoh, are all used in instruments to accomplish his plan. And I want to encourage you right now that God knows what he's doing then and he knows what he's doing right now and he knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what he's doing. Rest in that. Find comfort in that. Finally, last thing I want you to see is that God hears you, sees you, and knows you. God hears you, sees you, and knows you. Let's, let's go, how, how do we, we look at that last verse and it says, verse 23, I want to read that one more time. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. Go down to verse 24. And God heard their groaning. Listen, you're not bothering God. You're not wearing God out. You're not inconveniencing him when you cry out to him. We are not putting too much on his shoulders when we cry out to him. All at once, he is omnipresent, means he's everywhere, everywhere at one time. That is the opposite of the enemy. He is omnipresent, omnipotent, he's all powerful. And so we see this and we say, and God heard their groaning. Psalm 13 has been such a beautiful text for our family. It starts off with, oh God, how long have you forgot about us? How long must we take counsel in ourselves? Verse five says, but I will declare the steadfast love of the Lord for you have dealt bountifully with my soul. And so God hears their groaning and it says, and God remembered his covenant. God keeps his covenant. It's a promise. And then the last thing is, is God saw the people of Israel. And of course we celebrate, he knew. And, and, and here's, here's what I, I want to know. This is, this is a quote by, by John Piper. He said, the words God knew are pregnant with hope. So I would ask you the question right now, what, what needs to happen in your life for you to be convinced that God knows what he's doing in your life? What needs to happen in your life for you to be convinced that God knows what he's doing? And then here's some homework for you this week with your family. According to chapters one and chapters two, of Exodus, and actually the entire book of Exodus, I believe there are so many rich attributes of God. You can just go and list them all day long. But specifically in chapter one and chapter two, I want to challenge you sometime this week, maybe in the middle of the week with your family, to pick out two attributes that you see about the God that we serve in these two chapters. I'm praying they will encourage you. Sit around the dinner table, talk about them. What do you see about the character, the attributes of God in chapters one and two? Talk about it with your life group, 
You can simply talk about it with your family. I think what we see in the text today is really clear that um, God desires for us to obey him even when we see that there is, a, when we think that there's a dead end. There is a road extension in his plan. We might be there for a little while. Longer than we want. But what I'm saying and what our scripture is saying, that God knows what he's doing and know how he's going to, he knows how he can use that situation for our good and his glory. And I'm absolutely confident with everything that's in me that that is true, that that is what he, he's going to do. And I pray that you would find great hope in that. God knows what he's doing and he exactly, he hears, he sees, and he cares for all of us. My question for you is what will it take for you to be convinced if you are in a struggle that God truly knows what he's doing in regards to your life? Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. I'm absolutely convinced that for us, for our church, for us as a people, and for us as individuals, it brings me great hope to read that verse. It brings me great hope to know that yes, Moses came to bring the people out of slavery, lead them out of slavery. But 2,000 years ago, there was King Jesus who came to ultimately defeat the enemy that was ours, and that is sin, death, and the grave. He defeated it. He defeated it in full. And that's how we can know that God knows what he is doing because he ultimately sent Jesus. And Jesus is a better Moses. Moses gets us ready. Moses gets us ready to ultimately savor and hold on to the God of the universe who we know because of King Jesus. I hope you're encouraged by that today. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open up Exodus 1 and 2. I thank you for the privilege of being able to study your word, to read your word, and, um, and to just to, to recognize that you know what you're doing. God, I pray that in the midst of despair, in the midst of trials, I pray that in the midst of just questions and doubts, I pray that we would obey your word. Lord, I pray that our testimony would, would be, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I pray that we would trust you. Pray that we would believe in you. Your word is just full of promises and full of hope. And I pray that we would be able to see that, especially today. I'm grateful that the Israelites did what you told them to do. They were answering what you had commanded them to do back in Genesis. Help us to do that as well. Help us to obey what you tell us to do. God, help us to be reminded you know what you're doing, even when we don't. We recognize that you are behind the scenes in everybody's life here right now, orchestrating some things that will take place that maybe in the future will finally make sense to us, but don't right now. I find great hope in knowing that you are working behind the scenes on everyone for your glory and our good. I thank you for that. And I thank you that when we cry out, you hear us. I thank you that you remembered your covenant. And I thank you ultimately, God, that you care for us and you know 
what's going on. God, as we watch the Israelites, you know, trust and doubt and trust and doubt and they navigate through that, I pray that you will help us to see that ultimately what you're doing in the book of Exodus is that you are trying to draw out our sin in order to draw us into a relationship with you. So I pray that right now our sin would not hold us back from being drawn into a deeper walk with you. So help us to be disciples who are learning to trust, learning to trust, learning to love, and learning to obey. May we help each other do that along the way.